On the Emperor podcast this week, Derek C. in France drops by to tell us all about the light between oceans and also how to pronounce C. in France. Plus, we say a sad goodbye to one of our own on the movie podcast. It doesn't really feel like doing a funny bit here. Sorry about that. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. And welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up, Sir Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. And last but not least, for the final time in the podcast, at least for now, is our pint-sized lover of film scores and hater of trailers, Emma Thrower. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm okay. This is sad. It is sad. It's a sad time this in the pod booth. <laughs> it's a bit like being at your own funeral, isn't it, in a weird way? I mean, all the, yeah. the greys suddenly seem really colourful. <laughs> Um, oh gosh, we're seeing it yeah. in a new light. <laughs> well, we're off to a good start. Um, some background: Emma is leaving us this week. We're not happy about it. No, least of all Emma. <laughs> how are you? I'm, how how are you? I mean, as your conciliary, as your priest, <laughs> tell me how you're feeling right now. I feel I feel better being in here with you two right mm. now. This is oh, a this wow. is a happy place. Is it that bad outside? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm yeah. I'm still going to be doing lots of stuff for the mag. Good. So please, please, Helen and Chris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, haven't completely absolutely. got rid of me. You are also. We should mention at this point. You know, doing a marathon. I want to. I want to mention this as another runner. You're doing the Brighton Marathon next year. Yeah, apparently so. So, <laughs> so really, this is this is uh, this is going to be a brave new dawn of like just running all day for you, yeah. right? Yeah, Basically. just all day. Yeah, every day. Forest Gump style. Absolutely, away from the fact that I chose to do the marathon. Um, yeah, I've never run before, so this is going to be hilarious for everyone involved. Wow. Um, Have you started training for your marathon? Yeah, I did on Monday. How was that? Yeah, day one was fine. Day two, not so fine. So day one was 10 minutes, right? Yeah. And e- day two was... Easy. Is that, um, is that the mandated, is that suggested that you go, because you know, obviously marathon's think- quite long. Yeah, I've heard. So, I've you, heard so you don't start off with the full twenty six point two miles, no, do you? No. Um, no, the Nike other apps are available. App tells you sort of what you can do for a marathon. So yeah, I've got five months because I'm an anarchist. Uh, and yeah, no, it, it's kind of exciting. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be cool. It's going to be awesome. It's yeah. going to be really awesome. Have yeah. you chosen a costume? <laughs> <laughs> no, although Ollie says I should go as Chappie, and yes. I mean, who else is going to go as Chappie? Like, literally <laughs> no, no one. one. The, the, the potential there. Is is just it's it's almost limitless. I'm not as with Chappie himself. Counting it out. So as with Chappie, thank you yeah. for realising that in Chappie. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Probably not. Okay. Though, let's be honest. All right. <laughs> well, we have asked the as is tradition whenever we uh, bid someone farewell on the podcast. It's always very sad. But here's an upside: we bid Helen farewell on the podcast. When was it? <laughs> two years ago. That's right. And you're still here. Well, you've, you're having trouble getting rid of me. The problem is, there's two doors. <laughs> yeah, I can only exactly. monitor you one door only, at a time. You can only close Definitely. one at a time. Yeah. There's also the ceiling. Yeah. You've come through there in the past. I, I, well, I mean, only a few times and the trapdoor has been enormously useful. And then, of course, I've made a little nest yeah. under the desk. And also, uh, while we're, you know, on the subject of, you know, hey, it's not all, it's not all shit. It's not all shit, Emma Thrower. Uh, I left Empire in 2007. You did, yeah. Yeah, I left Empire in 2007. And just when they thought that I was out, I pulled <laughs> myself back in. Yeah, nobody <laughs> pulled him back in. He pulled himself. So basically, I'm not leaving. So basically, yeah. you're not leaving. Oh, amazing. And, and I just, Amazing. you know, and also what I meant with the running thing is, you know, yeah. as well as raising money for a good cause and all this kind of stuff, you're also learning to outrun our security guard, Mick, downstairs, <laughs> who's a lovely man. I think you're faster than him. I think it might be. So I, I think you be. can get back in, is okay. what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, there are glaciers that are faster than Mick. <laughs> Mick is a very fine Irish gentleman, and I will not hear a word He's against lovely. him. Oh, of course not. No, absolutely not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay. 
Yeah. I'll give it my best shot. So anyway, yes, do not throw away your shot. There it is. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Jesus Christos. Okay, so we've asked the good listeners for a bunch of questions for Emma. We're gonna, I'm going to move the running order of the podcast around a little bit this week. Uh, so we're going to start with movie news. Now we're going to go into movie reviews. And we're going to finish with the Emma question-a-thon that you guys have been so kind to send in loads of stuff via Twitter. So I hope you don't mind that. Yeah, nice to keep things moving, mix things around. Uh, so we're going to start with movie news. So, what's been happening? There was a really weird story yesterday that I'd just like to, to flag up. Johnny Depp will apparently be appearing in the Fantastic Beasts sequel. That's the second of the five planned mm-hmm. movies. There are five planned movies, neither to four nor to six movies, <laughs> shall you count. <laughs> and there are rumours, now, now that is the official report that he will be in the sequel. There are rumours that he makes a very, very, very fast, very short cameo in this first film that we will be seeing very, very soon now. And also that he is playing Gellert Grindelwald, who I think we all remember. Wait a minute. Yes. What? As the dark wizard who Dumbledore beat in a duel and which is a duel that established Dumbledore's reputation as like he who shall not be messed with, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Um, but there are also like some, some you know, some snippets, some rumours, some, some sense in the Harry Potter universe that he may also once have been Dumbledore's boyfriend. So, yeah, because they were like passionate good buddies. And we know that Dumbledore is canonically gay. So it may have been a love affair. So that could be the role. Apparently, that is the rumoured role that Johnny Depp will be playing in the Fantastic Beasts sequel or even first film. Who knows? We shall find out very soon. Johnny Depp, though. I mean, hmm. Mm. so there you go. Mm. <laughs> That's an amazing way to stop even, that. Johnny Depp. Even. Johnny Depp, everybody. Like, I don't know. Well, isn't that a thing? I don't know what to say because I'm actually genuinely really excited about it. Of course, Johnny Depp in a movie now, I mean, oh, Johnny Depp in a movie now, these days, right now, means right this something. Second. Right now, right this yeah. very second, means something very different from when you would cast Johnny Depp a year ago, even. That is correct. Uh, because of all the. Yeah things that have gone on in his private life which yeah. I'm not sure we should discuss necessarily on, on a, a friendly podcast like this but that's just say it, it feels uh, it feels odd yeah. um, and uh, but I, I guess uh, you know it's a, you mm. can see why they might think that he would be a good addition to a franchise it's yeah and you, you could also argue that perhaps Team Depp feels that some rehabilitation might be in order uh, it might be in order and what better way than to start taking supporting roles in movies like Murder on the Orient Express and Fantastic Beasts series going forward where they won't be on his shoulders and certainly the publicity won't be based around him as you imagine it will be with the new Pirates movie. Maybe so, yeah. When that comes out. But a bad guy role, interesting as well there. Hmm. Yeah. Anywho, uh, Anywho, so that's a piece of news that is happening. That is definitely something that is happening. Well done. Well done, Johnny Depp. Another Disney live action film is happening, obviously, because God forbid sure. we go a week without another one being announced. But actually, that sounded really down on it. I'm st- I'm quite excited about all of these still because I think so far they've been quite good, haven't they? Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, some have been middling, but yeah, there's but been it, nothing truly terrible. There's been nothing terrible. No, yeah. I mean, Jungle Book, great. Was great. Um, uh, Cinderella, really surprisingly charming. I didn't expect to like it, and I totally loved it. And so. I have a lot of love for Maleficent. I don't love it. I mean, Charlotte Copley's in it, so obviously. Yeah, but, but no, there is, I, there's some great stuff in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's the turn of Snow White this time. Ah, the original. The absolute original. And what's quite exciting is that they're looking at the people who did the songs from La La Land to do the songs in this. Which, Interesting. So I guess we're going to get a whole batch of new stuff. 
stuff. Yeah. And that could be really lovely because... As well as the original stuff? Well, we don't know. We were sort of saying we'd expect to hear sort of whistle while you work. The hi-ho there'll song. Be, yeah, there'll be some new stuff. But I guess it would be like with a Jungle Book, uh, they didn't have new songs. Yeah. They, they put in a few of the old things. I, I love the idea of these guys doing the songs, though, because yeah. although, I mean, the film's not out until January, but we've all seen it, haven't we? Yeah, we have. And the songs are really dreamy. La La Land, I haven't. And, oh, I've not seen it. The girls in the room have seen La La yeah. Land, and the songs are really dreamy and... Sexist. Super lovely, and I think they'll, they'll end a really lovely sort of tone and element to that. Obviously, there's there's no casting or director attached yet. This is very, very early days. But there's another Snow White story, obviously, also in the works about her lesser-known fairy tale sister, Rose Red, who Ooh. also has a movie in the works at Disney too. So all of a Snow White very soon. A lot basically. of Snow White. I mean, she's obviously a big part of Once Upon a Time, which is big for them. So I guess that's probably, <clears throat> yeah. you know, part of the impetus towards it. Um, you mentioned directors. Directors have been dropping like flies recently, haven't they? <sighs> Segway. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, Tim Miller, obviously left Deadpool 2 mm-hmm. and is now moving on to apparently produce and perhaps direct who knows Sonic the Hedgehog yeah. this is a strange one isn't it though I mean I, I guess like Sonic is a bit funny and such so there could be you know potential to kind of build on that Daredevil tone maybe I don't know I'll be honest I don't really Daredevil. play games except oh, for Daredevil. you mean Daredevil as in small d sorry I meant Deadpool, Deadpool. I it's, do that it's an easy thing to make I do it's that an easy a mistake lot. to make I'm yeah. sorry I thought you meant yeah, I thought you were being like clever with the plan words let's say that I was let's say that you were this is a very interesting decision by Tim Miller obviously it seems like there were that old chestnut creative differences mm-hmm. on, on Deadpool 2 apparently he wanted to make it big and splashy and special effectsy and um everyone else didn't but who knows but certainly Sonic the Hedgehog I'm not sure about that but of course uh, it looks like David Leach who is the director of John Wick and Wee. John Wick Chapter 2 is in the running hasn't been officially confirmed but is mm. in the running very very strongly rumoured to be the director of Deadpool 2 that would seem like a good fit seems like a good fit certainly action wise seems like a good fit comedy wise I'm not so sure uh, John Wick does have a sense of humour oh it really uh, the, does the film does <laughs> not John Wick himself Him necessarily per- well there's a little bit there the, yeah yeah. When he's yeah. when he's chatting to the to the police officer and you know when he's chatting to the the concierge, yeah, he's kind of funny. Yeah, he's not going to do a stand up set anytime soon. But if he did, though, you would yeah. laugh. <laughs> well, you would because because <laughs> I mean, you'd be terrified of him. <laughs> Imagine if you didn't. Um, so that, that 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 could be that could be it good. Could David be good. Leach, the action certainly in John Wick is really really good, and uh, yeah, it's very all very very interesting to keep an eye on, on those two films. Yeah. Um, also, with in director news, Rick Famuyiwa has left The Flash, mm-hmm. uh, following in the departing steps of Seth Graham Smith. Um, so that's two directors down for this movie. Um, Excuse us Tim Miller. Although that's <laughs> might be confusing with Ezra, Ezra Miller. Uh, I'll never confuse anyone with Ezra Miller. Okay, we have <laughs> And Kirstie Clemens and Billy Crudup are also cast. I mean, it's supposed to be shooting in March, so they're slightly running out of time on this one. It sounds like uh, again creative differences, but but Fami was said a little bit more than some might in this circumstance. Mm-hmm. He says, "I pitched a version of the film in line with my voice, humor, and heart. It's disappointing we couldn't come together creatively on the project." Blah blah blah. But it sounds like. Uh, the, the rumours was that he was going in a more sort of slightly edgy vi- uh, direction with yeah. the character and, and the executives were kind of wary of that. I mean, without wishing to in any way doubt Ezra Miller, who I think is great, do we need a Flash movie? We have the Flash on TV and he's um, great. Unfortunately, Helen, because we have the Justice League. Yeah. Of course we do. 
Oh, because we have to set up all these individual. I mean, because right? nobody the, knows who they are. Apparently. Well, I, I mean, by that lo- logic, <laughs> uh, where's my Black Widow movie? Do you oh, know what I mean? That's a whole different story. Um, but, my, where's my Coulson movie? <laughs> Whatever happened to that guy after he got killed in the Avengers? Nothing. I haven't seen him. Um, <laughs> this is. I don't know what to say about this. I mean, it, it just feels a little bit like that old. Is there really someone actively in charge of all those movies over at Warner Brothers? Is there a clear direction for that series? They have a team, Chris. You know this. Yeah. We've just got to hope for the best. It feels almost surprising, though, because you'd think they almost need to take a gamble and do something. You'd think they'd want to go edgier. Marvel, I'm not saying Marvel play safe, but Marvel have a much more, you know, tried and tested formula. Works great. But DC still haven't found their kind of groove, have they? So you'd think it'd be yeah, fun to have an edgy flash, something different. I think people would really mm. appreciate it. I thought, I thought that the, uh, the DC movies were setting themselves up as more director's movies. Yeah. And that's a little, that's very harsh on people like the Russos and, and mm-hmm. Scott Derrickson and Shane Black, who've really injected their own personalities into the Marvel movies. But Marvel movies also, we've said this in the podcast before, feel a little bit more like the Bond movies, where they are producer-driven, and you have the directors come in, and the directors try as best they can to inject themselves into the movie, working in that system. Whereas the Warner Brothers movies from the off, the, the likes of Zack Snyder and uh, James Wan and Rick Famuyiwa, and uh, people like that who just seem a little bit more directory, if you will, mm. and have their own <laughs> directory. Uh, and they bring their own style and their own vision to movies. But yeah, I'm not so sure how that works with committee filmmaking and executives and people second-guessing each other and all that sort of stuff. It's uh, certainly interesting. Mm. Speaking of committees and people second-guessing each other and renaming their films several times, she said in, in an awkward segue, <laughs> um, Doug Lyman's been talking about an Edge of Tomorrow sequel. Yes! Now, I freaking love Edge of Tomorrow. In fact, I think everybody who's seen Edge of Tomorrow freaking loves Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the name was terrible. They couldn't decide on the name. And and no one is quite sure if they've seen it or not as a result. Isn't it? Isn't it Live, Die, Repeat? No. That, uh, oh, I can't. I'm really confused. Anyway, it was fantastic. <laughs> and Doug Lyman's been talking about it. He said that is the only sequel that I'm considering doing. And it's because, first of all, the story is so amazing. Much better than the original film. And I loved and loved the original film. And second of all, it's a sequel sequel that's a prequel. Now, I have some issues with that, but fine. But he also says, I have some radical ideas about how to make a sequel that would interest me. And he says it's unlike how anybody else makes a sequel. And this <laughs> script and this idea fits perfectly with that idea. It's going to revolutionise how people make sequels. I mean, bring it on, right? Okay. Now, wow. Like, swing for the fences. Yeah. This is, uh, that's, some, that's some big talk. And I really hope he can live up to that. Yeah, he said it's like his favourite script, didn't he, that he's ever done? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he's uh, he's excited, you know, and uh, and and that's that's got to be a good thing, surely. Yeah, I've heard good things about the script. I, I I don't know what the premise is, but I've heard that the script is very very good indeed. Yeah, I love Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so much. It's really <laughs> so really great, and a sequel to that movie, which seems so perfect in itself. Yeah, and it ends really well. And how how can you possibly do a sequel to that with prequel elements? Mm, I'm intrigued. Um, because time travel. Because time travel. Because straws on table and stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Perhaps Noah Taylor will come in and explain it to us. In a, in a <laughs> well, we've, had, we've had Shane Carruth in here. I'm sure we could get him back. Yeah. 
Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm sure that'll be that'll be fine. <laughs> I look forward to the six-hour spoiler special podcast with Chris McQuarrie. <laughs> <laughs> I know again, but I didn't understand it, Chris. Again, and then he just takes me through it. No, I didn't understand it again. Okay, we, there is there is one wall in here that we could easily cover with a whiteboard yeah, and a yeah, whole lot of pieces of string. Yeah. Okay, that's what we're going to need. Yeah, It'll like David fun. Warner's uh, flat in the omen looked like <laughs> just normal wallpaper. Uh, very very excited and uh, other directors I'm really excited about include Gareth Evans no and you he, haven't mentioned him I've never mentioned him <laughs> uh, he hasn't been in the podcast for ages because he hasn't made a film in ages yeah unbelievable but of course he was at Empire Live he was at Empire Live yeah uh, but he's rectifying that he's so desperate to appear in the Empire podcast this is this is my theory <laughs> he's so desperate to appear in the Empire podcast that he's decided to make another movie wow and that you. movie is called Apostle <laughs> dude be chill <laughs> <laughs> the lengths people will go to appear in this, this, this thing honestly it's amazing uh, so it's uh, very little is known about it uh, except the fact that it's going to be completely and utterly as Evans himself said a couple of months ago fucked up and it's about a man who heads to a remote island to look for his missing sister she's been kidnapped by a religious cult and he begins to dig into the cult and the cult haven't quite bargained on this guy Ooh. now that feels very wicker man to me and Gareth Evans is a big horror fan obviously mm. he's, when he's known for the raid and raid 2 which are action epics but uh, he's a big big horror guy as well so I would imagine this one would be dark intense bloody claustrophobic bleak all of the above and I'm very very excited to see him back behind the camera because I know he's been trying to make a couple of movies and hasn't quite got there and he's and he's sticking to his guns this is a man who I imagine could have his choice of Hollywood stuff and he's sticking to his guns and making his own movies more power to him absolutely Um, some exciting trailers this week that we should mention in passing Uh, there's the Bananas Triple X the Return of Xander Cage uh, trailer which we had a lot of fun watching yesterday I mean Um, they're just trying to turn it into Fast and Furious 9 aren't they (laughs) aren't they Yes. There's an introduction of a team. Uh, Sandra Cage has a team now, uh, obviously, because why, why wouldn't he? Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I don't know. I don't know if this one's going to be knowingly... Like, the, the Fast Five knows it's an outrageous, stupid, yeah. ludicrous, yeah. bad movie. And I'm not Oi. so sure... How dare you? Yeah, it is. And I'm not so sure that Triple X will be quite as knowing. Well, we can, we can hope. But, uh, yeah, it's certainly worth a look if you like, you know, people just doing stupid the impossible things um, T2 Trainspotting sequel also got a sequel just this morning as yeah. we record this that title's getting clumsier by the second it's, it, it, yeah. it's very order. confusing for film fans I'll be honest I think we should maybe just call it Trainspotting 2 <clears throat> I think we should yeah because I think they clearly went let's call it T2 and forgot that Terminator 2 existed yeah so um, so yeah it's 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 very a lot of kind of callbacks to the original film but I, I don't know I don't feel like they're going to just retread the original film so I feel like they might be putting every single callback in the trailer and none at all hmm. in the rest of the movie. Um, but have a look and see what you think. Um, it's very exciting to see Johnny Lee, Lee Miller back in his peroxide hair, uh, that's for sure. And uh, Robert Carlyle off the chain again, um, which is which is kind of fun. And then if, if, if after all that you need something a bit more heartwarming, a bit more a bit more tear-jerking mm-hmm. and a bit handsomer, mm-hmm. um, Chris Evans' gifted trailer is out and I highly recommend a little look at that. No reason. 
Does he grab a helicopter by his <laughs> bare hands? And no, just... He d- he's just really charming with a small child. Oh, All of his smaller films people haven't seen are amazing. So yeah. let me take this last podcast opportunity to tell you all <laughs> to seek out all his films. All of them. Please, especially Snowpiercer. But Snowpiercer, yes. I mean, yes. That's not a small film, let's be fair. But just go through his IMDb, right? Yeah, just watch all of those. Yeah. Yeah, the one he directed is also pretty good. Um, it's got a really generic title. It's uh, Before You Go. Before We Go. Before We Go. Um, <laughs> see, I already forgot it again. Um, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> you looked it up. I did. And then you instantly forgot it. I did. And there might be the problem I didn't do well at the box office. <laughs> but it's cute. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, right. i got a couple of last things to talk about. Bring it. So, I'm very excited to know that uh, Liam Neeson and Neil Jordan are going to be working together again mm-hmm. on a film called The Trainer which is uh, set in Ireland it's about a top horse trainer played by Liam Neeson uh, who suffers a terrible tragedy to see him lose everything he cares for I'm literally reading this off the Empire uh, <laughs> Empire news story uh, but instead of then tracking down everyone who's responsible for that and, and making them pay as Neeson would be style, his want yeah. absolutely it's a more gentle drama about him being coaxed back into the world of, of horse training and incidentally his, uh, the character's name is John Moore uh, so so huh. it might be a stealth story about the making of A Good Day to Die Hard. <laughs> you I never know. It could be. And of course, uh, someone who was on the podcast was part of the podcast team most recently, Noel Clark. Uh, he has a new movie. He mentioned uh, when he was in here that he was there's a couple of movies that were maybe going to go. Uh, and one of them is has been announced this week. It's a film called 10 by 10 and it stars ruddy bloody Luke Evans. <laughs> we love the man. Uh, and Kelly Riley, who's never been in the podcast. See, she's making a movie just to get Fun though. We should get clearly was happening. Clearly was happening. Uh, and it's going to be a, a movie that takes place entirely in a well, not entirely, I'm guessing, but entirely. Well, <laughs> he said entirely again. Um, mostly in a ten by ten room slash cage that Luke Evans's character has built for Kelly Riley's character. He's, oh no! He's going to kidnap her and do horrible things to her. But oh, is there more to it than meets the eye? I don't know, but probably yes. Wow. Yeah. So Susie Ewing is going to, to uh, direct that, and uh, Noel Clark has just written it and produced it cool yeah fairly fairly straightforward yeah yeah nice and easy alright that is it for movie news a lot of movie news this week yeah busy week that was a longer section I bargained for time now for this week's guest Derek C. France has established a name for himself as a maker of emotionally searing dramas including Blue Valentine and The Place Beyond the Pines and he cements that reputation with this week's The Light Between Oceans which stars Michael Fassbender Alicia Vikander and Rachel Weisz in a period melodrama involving lots of sobbing uh, C. France came into our gloriously dreary prod booth and recently and he was speaking to the gloriously undreary Phil DeSimlin enjoy Derek C. in France welcome to the Empire Podcast thanks for joining us thanks for having me um, we are here to talk about the light between oceans today that must have been a great location scouting job this one was I mean like, it although was. it's obviously the lighthouse is pivotal mm-hmm. so there's a limited number of places you can shoot yeah unless you build your own was there any talk of doing that there was talk of doing that I mean to me what was important was finding a place that was isolated because this movie is all about what happens when people get into a 
a relationship and isolate themselves and make decisions and keep secrets from the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, to me, it was uh, kind of a metaphor to what I felt when I was a kid growing up that like I felt like I lived on an island as a kid because when people would come to visit us, we would change. My family would change. Yeah. We'd become like the perfect versions of ourselves. <laughs> and then people would leave and yeah. we'd go back to being real again. Where did you and grow up? Lakewood, Colorado. Right. Suburbs of Denver. And, uh, and uh, so I kind of always made it my life's mission to take pictures of the arguments in my house or yeah. record people fighting. Or like when I went to Disneyland with my family, I didn't take any video at Disneyland. I took video of my father changing a flat tire on the side of the desert, you know, in the highway <laughs> in the desert. So anyway, I was interested in those, like the things that you didn't see, you know. And so for this uh, movie, I wanted to find an isolated place that would stand in for anyone's home, for that suburban home in which I grew up, you know. Um, and so I, I searched all over Australia for six months. I found a great location in Australia. We were all set to shoot there. And then Pirates of the Caribbean 5 flew into town and they took the tax credit. Oh, what? And um, we couldn't afford to shoot the movie there. So this would have been in Queensland? Uh, no, 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 no. We were. I, I, I went uh, I went Western Australia, but I also looked at Tasmania. Right. There was, I was just drawn to Tasmania. So when we got kind of, uh, when we were unable to shoot in Australia, we started looking in New Zealand. And just basically, you just look up every island lighthouse that they have in New Zealand. And I found a perfect one, but it had like an indigenous population of endangered lizards. And they wouldn't allow human beings on the island. So I couldn't shoot there. And then I found another one, Center Island which is an island, uh, but the lighthouse was very squat, uh, very short, very stubby, as Michael Fassbender would say. Right. And it felt like it wasn't right for us. Uh, you know, I felt, so I found this place called Cape Campbell, and it was like an hour and a half down a, a bumpy dirt road, uh, you, know, uh, you know, from the nearest population. And, you know, so I told the studio, I said, hey, I found the place. And they said, you can't shoot there because you're going to be in a commute for three hours a day, driving to and from your hotel room. And I said, well, what happens if we just live there yeah. and they said Derek this isn't one of your little indie movies this is a studio picture you're going to have a hundred people on your crew you have to house them somewhere and I said well do I really need that many people I think I could do it with about 12 people and they said "Where are you? who's going to set up your green screen and I said well can I shoot the movie without the green screen and they said oh, who's going to set up your lights and I was like well do I really need lights and they said okay fine 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 if you can convince your actors to live there with you you can do it but you'll never convince them so I call it Michael Fast Bender, I said, Michael, yeah. I need you to live on this lighthouse location with me. And will you do it? And he said, no. And I said, look, Michael, you're like, to me, you're like the the best actor. <laughs> I was like, there's nothing I can do that's going to make you better. You're fine without me. I can't whisper something in your ear to make a light bulb go off. But what I can give you is an experience. And then what I can fight for for you is an experience. So if you embrace this gift I'm trying to give to you, I think we could do something interesting. I think we could find some life up on the screen. And he said, okay, I'll give it a day. And that day turned into two days, eventually turned into like five and a half weeks. And him and myself and Alicia and about a 12 person crew lived on this little, uh, this, this peninsula called Cape Campbell. And we, you know, were able to like wake up at five in the morning and start shooting the sunset. And we were able to, uh, you know, the wind was like so intense there that it threatened to like roll our trailers into the ocean every night. And so we would wake up frazzled you know because like the wind can really drive you crazy you know and to me it just added it was like part of the x factor of the movie i love process when i'm making movies so i kind of want to live it if i can you've compared this 
film to being like a John Cassavetes movie mm. inside a David Lean with a David Lean sweep to it. Yeah. Um, for people that aren't familiar with Cassavetes, he's mm. someone that a lot of filmmakers reference. Yeah. What is it that makes him so enduring and so special as, as a filmmaker, aside from what he could do with little, little money, I guess? Yeah, well, Cassavetes, you know, the first movie I saw of his was Faces. And, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, I used to think that what went on inside my house was not what was seen by the real world. And when I saw Faces, it felt like a home movie to me. Mm. It felt like what life was like inside my house. And it didn't feel like a movie. It felt like it felt like real life, but kind of like a heightened version of real life. It felt like more intense even than real life. And then it had this amazing catharsis at the end. This like... I left just being shell-shocked by that movie, you know? And I started watching the rest of his movies, and I think what Cassavetes did is he he had this way with, with actors. He had this way to kind of, like, make them, you know, give the, the bravest performances. He had, he had people who weren't easily defined. He had people that were, at one part, uh, you know, heroes and despicable at the same time. Um, and they were human. He really made just these human, these brave human movies. And... Um, and he would use his friends and his wife to be in them and he'd shoot them in his house and he would edit them in his garage for years and they're just they're movies that are just so alive and and he's he's absolutely like a uh, you know he's the north star to me you know yeah. whenever i make a film yeah um you have a stellar car i mean your two leads mm. you've got some great Antipodean actors mm. in support but specifically for Michael Fassbender and mm. Lissy Vikander they feel like they're right at the top of their games mm. Lissy Vikander seems unnaturally gifted <laughs> almost is. I'm really interested in how you came because I understand that you didn't you hadn't really seen any of her work I hadn't no. um, before you cast her and, and then you had this long meeting mm. with her like mm. a four hour chat which sounds pretty intense yeah. is that is that audition stroke conversation stroke get to know me process do you see that as quite a private thing would you would you share what that's actually like how you put an actor through the their paces in that situation yeah it's pretty private to me because uh, yeah okay, I was say this like with a, with that character of Isabel I needed to find someone who is emotionally impulsive right uh, I told my casting director I said I want Vivian Lee from Gone with the Wind I want Jenna Rollins from Woman, Woman Under the Influence or I want Emily Watson from Breaking the Waves you're not my, asking much no my three favorite performances of all time and uh, she said well you should meet Alicia Vikander and uh, Alicia came into this meeting uh, you know to this casting and I I'd normally hate doing auditions I don't like auditioning actors because usually if they're really good in an audition I feel like I can't trust it because all that's telling me is that they're a good faker that they're good at faking it in this nondescript room and then if I bring them out to real life they're just going to fake it all over the place so I don't trust it the other danger of, a, of an audition is that you could get it in the audition and that's happened to me one time where I got just the best improv in an audition and then I tried to go to set and get the same thing and I could never get it again I could never repeat it so I don't want to spoil a moment on an audition, right? So usually in auditions, I just talk to people. Um, I, I just get to know like what's in their heart, what's in their mind, what's haunting them, what's what their dreams are. And uh, and I did all that with Alicia, but I felt like I needed to see, since I didn't know much about her as an actor, I felt like I just needed to see something. Mm -hmm. So I had to do a couple scenes. And she did the most remarkable thing for me in these performances. It wasn't that she was good. It's that she was courageous because she 
completely embarrassed herself at times for me. As she completely went over, uh, she fell on her face. She f- she failed for me. And to me, that's the greatest gift an actor can give you as a director is is to fail, is to be bad. Because I feel like if they can not have this, you know, kind of j- internal judgment of getting it right or getting it wrong, that they can... Um, be open they can be more open they can be more vulnerable and because of like what she was able how far she was able to go in that audition I knew I could take her I knew I could go on this journey with her and she you know Michael is undoubtedly like to me he's like the modern uh, Laurence Olivier you know what I mean he's like this incredibly trained actor who one take maybe two takes he's got it Mm -hmm. right he's got your scene what I had with Alicia was this thoroughbred that was she you couldn't exhaust her so she would keep going and going and going what she did she stepped on the set to go against to go toe-to-toe with Michael Fassbender who was like the heavyweight champ Hmm. and he couldn't get her down in two rounds right they had to keep going sometimes up to like 30 takes of a scene and her ability to kind of push it and push it and push it like made him try harder and so I had this amazing experience of these two great actors kind of raising the bar for each other and then the higher they would go the more dangerous it would be for them and then eventually they would catch each other and so I saw not only this competition between two actors making each other better but also they this compassion for yeah. each other so just to contextualize slightly the, 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 they play a couple they've suffered miscarriages and real pain living on this island and the baby's washed ashore and they're left with this moral conundrum it's almost a biblical issue I yeah. guess um, true I just wondered about just the mechanics of directing mm. with children mm. are you a good director of babies you know to me as a director it's all about balancing control and chaos the great thing about working with like babies or like dogs is that you can't control them you know what I mean they're, you cannot tell them what to do they just do it and you know there was a moment in the movie when they first bring the baby in and I know the baby was like crying and there was talk of like can we get a doll in here you know what I mean because they're interrupting the scene and I remember telling Alicia Michael I was like if the baby cries try to calm it down that's the job of a mother or father like console the baby so all of a sudden the baby was over their lines but their lines didn't matter because they had to nurture a child now mm-hmm. and so we let that happen and I felt like it's uh, it was a gift to them as actors it gave them something to distract them from trying to get their lines out and so yeah I, I, I try to always embrace chaos if I can you know that's why we shot on this island with wind the sound guy hated my guts you know because he was like I can't hear anything I was like well then the actors are going to have to speak up the hairstylist hated me because she was like her hair won't stay in place it's too windy here I was like that's the way it is you know we are not making we're not trying to make this uh, perfect superficial portrayal of humanity we're trying to embrace humanity for all of its flaws you know and uh, that's where Cassavetes comes in too as an inspiration it's just like embrace the ugliness the terrible beauty Famously, Steven Spielberg loved Blue Valentine, which is yes. kind of a circuitous way that this project came to you via DreamWorks. Yeah. Obvious question is like, what's your favorite Spielberg movie? But I wondered if there's a Spielberg movie that you you feel is particularly unfairly underrated. When Spielberg told me that he loved Blue Valentine, I told him that I always thought Blue Valentine was like E.T. without the alien, <laughs> and that I always felt 
you know, Spielberg is a suburban kid, as am I. And I always related to that suburban. Uh, I felt like he always had his finger on the pulse of being a suburban kid. Like, growing up in Colorado in the suburbs, that was... He knew what it felt like to be a kid in that environment and how to deal with kind of the nightmare of your family, like, falling apart when the aliens come and visit you. You know, so I love all those movies. You know, I love, you know, Close Encounters, and I love Jaws, and I love um, E.T. and Indiana Jones. I mean, how, how can you how can you deny deny what that guy has done? Um, my favorite underrated Spielberg film. What he's done on the Terminal, for instance. You know, I, I liked it. It's I liked it. There there was a moment in there with uh, Tom Hanks eats a cheeseburger or something in the terminal and then on the right side of his mouth he has a little bit of yellow mustard and on the left side of his mouth he has a little bit of red ketchup and it was the only thing I will say is it seemed preordained that it was going to land like that it didn't seem like a mistake and part of me recoils against that because I like to have true mistakes but part of me is just absolutely just gobsmacked by Spielberg's control like his ability to like go in there and create these mis- these mistakes and have complete like uh, puppet mastery over the- over them and uh yeah i mean he's he's just undeniable he's undeniable in his he's like oz really <laughs> you know spielberg he was such a great like uh, support to me while i was making the film he would he was shooting bridge of spies while i was shooting this and he would watch every inch of my dailies you know and i shot 209 hours wow. so he was shooting bridge of spies and going home and watching his dailies and watching my dailies and he would send me reports and you know he was sent me just the be- most beautiful messages about like how inspired he was by watching my footage and how his footage was completely different than my footage but yet we were both dealing with this magical mystery that is cinema we're both telling stories through this mysterious form that is cinema and it's just it's like when when a, when he is watching your what you're doing and uh, giving you those you know like it, you know don't forget he was like the the judge at Cannes who gave blue is the warmest color the you know yeah. you know the top prize and and to me he he loves cinema mm. and uh, it was a dream come true to, to work with him you have another project coming up mm. which I want to ask you about Empire of the Summer Moon yeah. um, which sounds a little different from your films to date mm. um, has Steven Spielberg given you any ideas on this one no St- Spielberg's not involved in this no. one this is a film for Warner Brothers it's yeah. a film based on S.C. Gwynn's uh, history of uh, the Comanche Nation mm. uh, in America it, it's about Quanta Parker and um, the last free Comanches on the on the Plains of America, and it's about Ranald McKenzie, who was uh, the greatest Indian fighter uh, the U.S. Cavalry has ever seen. Um, he's a guy who actually ended his life in an insane asylum because he had to really sell his soul to win this land battle that the U.S. government had against the the, the Native Americans. And you know, it's a film that takes place. You know, Com- Comancheria. You know, ekes into a little bit of Colorado, where I'm from, and it's this landscape that I grew up in. But now, you know, as a as a kid, I I, I I used to travel around 
Texas and I, there's Home Depots everywhere and mm. there's McDonald's and and it's it blows my mind to think about all of the culture and the and the life and the lifestyle and the civilization that was really wiped out so that capitalism could thrive you know yeah. and uh, it's a film that's just trying to tell this honest American story you know I've Light Between Oceans is the first film I've made that takes place outside of America and I'm I'm very excited to go back and make a epic American you know tale of the American West and it's also a film really though about family because it's about Quanah Parker and his mother Cynthia Ann Parker Cynthia Ann Parker is basically who the who uh, Natalie Wood's character was based upon in The Searchers right. she was yeah. a white Baptist girl who was kidnapped from her family when she was like 8 years old and 20 something odd, odd years later she was rescued by the Texas Rangers so twice in her life she was abducted one time she was abducted from her mom and dad and the second time she was abducted from her husband and her children and it's really the story of this son Quana and his brother Peanuts trying to find their mother again uh, who's been taken back into uh, white civilization and uh, this white civilization that can't understand why she's not like your home now Cynthia but that's not her home anymore you know her home was um, with the Comanches and uh, anyway it's just a it's it's a really uh, conflicted American story of the of the West and I and I haven't seen it yet in in a in American Western you know I've seen you know John Wayne Westerns which I love but which are you know inherently have some you know issues of, of perspective and then I've seen like the Kevin Costner versions which mm-hmm. also has have other issues of perspective you know um, I mean they're all great movies I don't want to diss them but this I feel like is trying to tell you know more of a truthful version of you know as far as I can see of what happened are you anywhere near casting news on this one uh, no not yet not yet I'm on my fifth draft right now oh okay I actually should be there writing it right now sorry <laughs> but I'm talking about my past uh, no no well we'll, we'll let you get problem. back to it <laughs> let you get back to it um, Derek C. and France thank you so very much for, uh, for coming in thanks for today. having me real pleasure pleasure is mine Okay, we're going to shift things around, as I said, because of the sad farewell to Emma. We're leaving on the question to the end. <laughs> so we're going to put the reviews in the middle, and we're going to start with The Light Between Oceans. Emma, take the lead. So The Light Between Oceans is a tale of Tom Sherbourne, played by Michael Fassbender, a lighthouse keeper sent out to the small island of Janus Rock to look after. You said Janus. It's a lighthouse. <laughs> the two-faced Roman god. And Sherbourne's recently returned from the war and he needs an escape, as you can well imagine, which he finds in both the island and peppy local girl Isabel Graysmark, who's played by Alicia Vikander. And, as only tends to happen in the movies, the pair fall hopelessly in love and get married after he whisks her away to the rock. Aww. Not the not the guy, though. Janus Rock, wow. just to clarify. But the dynamics of their idyllic married existence eventually change due to a terrible series of miscarriages that Isabel suffers. However, a miracle happens when a teeny tiny little baby is found out at sea and the pair decide to take it in as their own. But Tom's guilt soon gets in the way when he discovers the identity of their child's mother. And as I'm sure you can imagine, things get a little bit tangled as Tom's guilt gets stronger and the mother, played by Rachel Weiss, clocks on to what's been happening. So I know that I'm slightly more in the positive camp with this film and the thing is about it that it has such incredible performances Hmm. Vikanda is completely sublime I think 
she is in pretty much everything she's done. But I think that with any other pairing, this film would have been a much harder watch. Uh, I can see why a lot of people will be turned off by it. And for me, the reasons it didn't work were mainly because it feels like it's being so true to the book that it's adapted from, which I guess is a problem with a lot of adaptations. Yeah, definitely. But also, I'm a massive, massive fan of Sea in France. And I love Blue Valentine. I love The Place Beyond the Pines. Probably two of my favourite films, actually. But they work so well because they feel so effortlessly different. And this has such a conventional narrative. And maybe because I knew it was him, I'm kind of expecting more the whole way through, if that makes sense. So, as I said, I know I'm in the minority because I would go more towards the four stars. But I was left completely bereft there's no spoiler I just for some reason at the end of it I was just weeping there's two friends sitting next to me and they just they just walked away I was like I just need a bit of time here um, it hit me hard and as I said I'm I'm pretty sure it was all done to the performances and also as the kind of score guru in the corner of the pod booth I hate to say it but I actually found Alexandra Desplat's score a little bit overbearing no. sorry Alexandra Alexandra oh, take Alexandra. that Desplat take that Desplat I actually am really interested to see how it would have worked if it had a contemporary score because for me as I was watching it the whole time I just kept thinking this is a beautiful film looks stunning but it just would have given it this really different element that I think would have worked much better for it and I also really need to express my love for the teeny tiny little bundle who plays the sort of toddler version of Emily the child that they take in she's called Florence Cleary and it's not just because she's from my hometown um, <laughs> but she but. is absolutely lovely she's so natural in it and yes she's very very English and this is set sort of you know, off the coast of Australia and they've got Kiwi accents. But she gets away with her English accent completely and it's really, really sweet. Just her and Fassbender, stuff you can tell has obviously been, they're just allowed to roam and play free and whatever. It's absolutely yeah. gorgeous. So on a rewatch, I don't know how I'd feel with it, but in the moment of that film, it really swept me up because of those two. I really bought into it and maybe because they are a real life couple, it's hard to separate sometimes, but you could watch them falling in love on the screen if that made sense. Mm. And I think that is what worked for me. I don't know. A lot of people are like, it's very, very Oscar Beatty, blah, blah, blah. It's a nice, romantic, sad, sweeping epic, really. Yeah. But it's, it's a not... very old-fashioned movie. It really is, but it's not going to be for everyone. A lot of people think it's quite boring. I've heard a lot of people say, unfortunately. But um, again, I think because Cian France has done such great stuff in the past, it's hard to separate that, really. I have to agree. I, I, I absolutely, like you said there just a couple of minutes ago, I, I like you, I love Cian France. I love Cian Paris. I love Cian Leon. To lose? No, I don't like to lose. Okay. I like to win. <laughs> I haven't been there. It must be up in the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? That was accident as well. Anyway, what would you give this? Uh, so we we given this three in it the magazine. Given three, yeah. What would you give it in TripAdvisor? Oh, it's very windy, but um, it's very picturesque. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, probably, yeah. no, I'd probably give it a, a 4.8. A 4.8 on TripAdvisor? Is that a 5? I've never used TripAdvisor. You've never used TripAdvisor? No. No, I haven't. Wow. Sorry. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Well, no, we should probably just move <laughs> I'm on. a bit stunned. Uh, three stars then for The Light Between Oceans. Next up, we have Ben Affleck in The Accountant. He's not just an accountant. He's also one of the world's... <laughs> Greatest assassins. Uh, so, makes sense. <laughs> Doesn't it really? 
Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. So he's he's an autistic uh, guy with a with a gift for mathematics, mm-hmm. um, and and after quite a sort of tough love childhood, he you know finds a way to basically use his skills as best he can while sort of slightly insulating himself, I guess, from a world that he finds very difficult. And I think you know Ben Affleck's clearly put a lot of work into trying to portray that fairly, although I'm not sure how, how much the script supports him. But anyway, everything is is kind of going okay for him because what he does is. He he uses his enormous gifts to help some slightly dodgy people with their accounts. Uh, in in the words of the FBI, he uncooks the books for for all of these extremely dodgy people and sort of uh, finally launders their money. The problem is that a Treasury investigator, Raymond King, who's played by J.K. Simmons, is kind of on his tail and starts sniffing around him. And so he's, uh, he's under pressure to do something a bit more legitimate to try and throw him off the trail. And, and he takes what appears to be a legitimate job and unfortunately it, it turns out to be uh, not quite so legitimate. Oh no! Dun, dun, dun. Um, he also meets a plucky young accountant, which <laughs> is not a, not a phrase I use very often. Played by Anna Kendrick, who who sort of becomes a bit of a, a confidant, affair, mm. sort of, mm. yeah, well, mentee. Yeah, they, they end up going to run them together a little bit, 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 a little bit. Christian Wolf, to give him his name. Oh, sorry, I should yes. Uh, I just Christian Wolf finds Wolf. himself in the cross hairs of John Bernthal who is a loquacious <laughs> loquacious hitman with incredible hair uh, who is on the the path of Christian Wolf. Um, we gave this two stars in the magazine I think it's yeah. a little harsh I'll be honest this is a film directed by Gavin O'Connor and one thing you can say for this film is that it doesn't play it safe it's That's bonkers true. it is demented <laughs> it is numerous things so it's about an autistic accountant who is one of the world's greatest killing machines and that's that yeah. if you start with that and you're okay with that I honestly <laughs> thought this movie was going to was going to engender uh, a, a lot more controversy than it, than it has I spoke to Gavin O'Connor for a piece for the magazine and he was worried about it he really was but it seems to have come out in the States and people haven't really batted an eyelid and it's done pretty well the box office not amazingly but okay but it's just it's it's completely insane it's about six <laughs> movies it it's about six movies in one there's a, a chase story there's a kind of love story there's an interesting relationship which echoes a thematic concern that Gavin O'Connor has explored in some of his previous movies and I can't I can't state <laughs> well what that there. is because well there, Chris, yeah. <laughs> otherwise people will see one of the, the film's major twists coming and it has many twists as well it is a labyrinthine story it's very very deeply bonkers it's a bit like Leon at times as well uh, it's got some good action sequences decent performances across the board and just for swinging for the fences with an idea this insane and handling it, I think, in a fairly tasteful way, I think it's better than two stars. But I am also aware that I'm utterly alone in that, in the Empire office. <laughs> you you kind of are, Chris. I'm, I'm completely sorry. alone in well, that, but there you go. I haven't seen it yet, and I notoriously like everything that people hate, so... You might like might this. Like stars thrower. Hey, no. Like oh, no, you... I didn't love it by any stretch of the imagination, but I certainly don't think it's a two-star film. But there you go. The Accountant. Two stars. <laughs> which is not a recommendation. Um, although, I don't know, maybe it's tax deductible. Who knows? Maybe you can bump it up to three stars uh-huh. because of some jiggery-pokery with the numbers. Whoa, Who steady knows? on. Uh, last but not least this week, and very, very quickly, sadly, because we need to 
asked some questions of Emma Nocturnal Animals Tom Ford's second immaculately tailored movie it is immaculately tailored yes and this is the first of a one two Amy Adams punch coming this week and next hell yeah um, for my money the second one's much better anyway this is a story based on a book called Tony and Susan and Susan is played by Amy Adams and, and she's a very wealthy sort of gallery owner living the high life married to Army Hammer who's a businessman who goes off on lots of trips and gets up to lots of stuff while he's away um, and one day she gets sent a manuscript from her ex who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal and it's a, it's a revenge story set in the desert um, it's about a man who uh, he and his, his wife and daughter are basically targeted by some some ne'er-do-wells in the desert and, and he sort of uh, tries to sort things out but the film is kind of a layered story between that book that she's reading where Gyllenhaal also plays the main character and you have Michael Shannon as the as the investigator who tries to help him figure out what happened and, and catch the people responsible and then you also snap back to Susan's life uh, in LA as she reads this book so there's a lot I have to say there's a lot of scenes where Tom Ford has to make somebody reading a book look interesting yeah. which yeah. is a challenge for any director and, and it's one that I'm not 100% sure he entirely nails <laughs> but basically it, it, there are parallels between what happened in real life between Adams and Jill and Hell's characters and what happens in the book uh, and I can't say any more than that uh, or give it away now this is beautifully composed it's gorgeously shot Seamus McGarvey fantastic fantastic work on this as you would expect everything looks glorious yeah. as you would expect from this cast the performances are great um, Michael Shannon in a smaller role is just wonderful and I think inject a little bit of not levity but just offbeat weirdness that I think the film really needed and I think it, and I think it hugely benefits from it I personally had major major issues with the end of this and find it really unpleasant and so I am a little bit out of step <laughs> like yourself Chris on the last one I'm I'm a little bit out of step however I can't deny it's it's beautifully made well shot well directed I just hate the story I think okay. uh, we gave it four stars yes I wouldn't I, yeah so four stars for Nocturnal Animals yeah why don't you take the star off and give it to you and give it to me I'll bung it on the accountant uh-huh. and then we're happy I'll, I'll tell you what I'll also, take two stars off I'll give one to Emma as well well I'd give one to animals five stars so this is insane <laughs> really yeah it's one of my favourite films of the year top five of the year for me Okay. I absolutely loved it I think it's a without saying too much it's a narrative device I've never really seen used to that effect before I mm-hmm. think it's absolutely stunning I think visually and story wise it's just incredibly arresting amazing score again yeah amazing score from oh, give it that yeah. Abel Kozeliowski <laughs> is I'm sure Nailed how it. you pronounce it Nailed um, and Amy Adams again Amy Adams a hell is of a time but I have to say I want if she wins the Oscar this year after five nominations which let's face it is as many as Leo had before he won <laughs> uh, I think she should win for Arrival personally and I will be a little bit disappointed if she wins for Nocturnal Animals or if she splits her mm. own vote I think she should win for she's doing uh, two for leading apparently I think <laughs> she should win for a performance that she deserves it for unlike Leonardo DiCaprio <gasps> oh oh snap mic drop pen, uh, pen, I've pen said drop. it before uh, yeah, I, I think she, uh, without wishing to give anything away or break any embargoes, she's going to have some serious competition this year from a certain Ms. Portman, among others. Oh, yeah. Anywho, uh, so Nocturnal Animals, four stars. Crack lab code. <laughs> it's a really easy code to crack, let's be fair. I mean, it's barely it's, a code. It's, uh, wow. <laughs> it's pretty much just Even Benjamin Franklin Gates could crack lab code. 
Oh, Johnny um, isn't here. I know. <laughs> All right. So that's to make some sense of this nonsense. So The Light Between Oceans is three stars. Yeah. yeah. That is a recommendation, as we always say in the podcast. The Accountant is two stars. It's not a recommendation. But I right. say, you know what? You know what? If you like batshit insane films <laughs> that features Ben Affleck killing a lot of people, go and see it. And then we have Nocturnal Animals, which I was a little bit less up on than The Empire Review. Four stars, but, you know, Helen's... Four but stars then Emma thinks it's five, so it's a complete curveball. So I don't know wrong. what to think anymore. <laughs> uh, what I do know is that you shouldn't go see A Street Cat Named Bob, which we gave two stars to. Um, we don't have time to, really to talk about it in this one, but uh, sadly, it's a bit maudlin. But there you go. Yeah, I think it's just the tone is a little bit confused. It can't decide mm-hmm. if it's Ken Loach or Paddington. I can't think of any cat puns. Well, that's a recommendation. <laughs> that is that a recommendation. Is actually, that is actually. I want to see that film. I, Daniel Bear. That'd be amazing. Oh. Would watch. Would watch. Okay. Uh, so that's it for the reviews. And now, before we say goodbye to Emma Thrower, here is a lovely bunch of questions that you guys have been sending in via Twitter. Uh, the first one comes from Lat American Claire. At American Claire. And also Lat American Claire. <laughs> What's a film you love despite a bad soundtrack? Ooh. See... Is it even possible? Do you know what? It's an awful question because... No, sorry, that's a great question. But it's an awful <laughs> question for me because I I think I only tend to really recognise greatness. I'm quite... I'm quite oh, a, oh right. <laughs> you have a blind spot. But I'm such a... You know I'm a really positive person. Yeah. So I'm never like, oh, that score's terrible. It's more forgettable or... So, yeah. do you know what? So you try I'm to forget s- them. I, I, yeah, I'm going to start off with a really, really bad answer and say, ugh, I don't have an answer. <laughs> it's more, say if something feels a bit overbearing or incongruous, like, oh, Carter Burwell's score for Legend springs to mind. I had trouble with that. It just felt really okay. out of step with the film. As in um, the Craze movie? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that American. Not the, yeah, okay. Not the Tom Cruise movie. No. 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 That wasn't Carter Burwell. That again would be a really bad score for that movie. I mean, yeah. If you took the score from the Craze movie Legend and put it on the Tom Cruise movie, Ridley Scott movie. It might be more fun than it might the, be more fun. the Craze movie was. Indeed. So, um, because you've, you know, you, you haven't been with us long, Emma, but you've established yourself rightfully off as a lover of film scores. So, quite a few questions about. I, yeah, I noticed. Sort of you know what? I had to actually write answers in case they came up because I didn't want to really? embarrass myself. I <laughs> needed them ready just yeah. in case. You know, <laughs> got to prepare. Uh, at Miller Time, 1976, asks, uh, if Emma could have an Avengers-style film, so but with composers, <gasps> who would they be? Okay, this is what I needed to prepare. So this is composers <laughs> coming together to face a dire threat. For example, like a, a Bieber-level threat, and they have to come together to... That, that, could, that could happen. Yeah. They're like, like my like, super team. Like, if you think about Close Encounters of the Third Kind, they, mm-hmm. they communicate through music. So these composers mm-hmm. would be communicating with, say, the Chachari through music. That's amazing. This is, I mean, I think we're going to make a fortune. Okay, so bear with me here. Mm -hmm. They're going to be brought together by Nick Fury, a.k.a. John Williams, because he's the Don, right? Mm -hmm. And then he's going to employ Hans Zimmer, Coulson, to get the gang together. Okay. (laughs) So, Iron Man. Yeah, Mansell, obviously. obviously. Captain America, Michael Giacchino. Oh, of course obviously. he is. Because he's so American. righteous and he's lovable. He's so and, American and, yeah. and cuddly and stuff. Yeah. And also um, has had the super composer serum. So there's that whole backstory. Yes. We don't talk about that. And then uh, Thor, Dario Marinelli, because he has a really evil brother. I don't know that, but he's great. Yeah. Black Widow, Rachel Portman, because she's a girl and she's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Hawkeye would be Ludovico Ionaldi because I've heard he's 
great with a bow and arrow. Sweet. Uh, and then, a bow, probably. <laughs> right. And then the Hulk needs to be Craig Armstrong because I get angry that people don't love him as much as they should. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And then lastly, Loki would <laughs> be able to cause any obsky. Wait, because he always brings in the black magic when you don't expect it and people forget he's there. Oh. Okay, can I have that one? Who's, who's that? Abel Kozanyovsky, who I actually just did a shout out just, for in yeah, Nocturnal Animals. Remember? Yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, wow. that was a proper answer, wasn't it? You weren't That was a really good answer. Wow. <laughs> I hope it was the right answer, but that's my that's my Avengers okay. team up. Okay, that's, that's good. That's good. That's good. It's your team. <laughs> it is. They would so lose. Uh, <laughs> oh, Simmer, Simmer, though. Simmer's great. You know, Coulson, good choice. Uh, Connor Walshy asks, if you could revive any cancelled during production movies or TV shows, which would you choose? And he also cautions that he's yeah. going to unfollow you if you don't pick <laughs> Fincher's Utopia at HBO with Rooney Mara, which kind of defeats the point of the question in the first place. Yeah, and then I replied to him and said, I haven't started watching it yet, so... But yeah, you, you couldn't because it wasn't made. <laughs> I mean, right? That would be tricky. Um, that was really tough. Mm, I wish there had been... Oh, I don't know. I wish there had been more of Life on Mars, although that was perfect. This isn't me answering the question. I don't know. What's been cancelled, obviously? I mean, like, I'd Joss like Whedon. to see, like... Yeah, well, I guess there's some of those. I'd like to see, like... Arnie's Crusades movie that never happened I think that would have been hilarious okay for example but yeah those kind of big movies that just didn't happen yeah I and mean, relevantly talking of um, Fincher as well there was you know the fact that we didn't get the two extra girl with the X films oh, yeah. and they're moving on to the other book that's not Larson's I wish we'd had as much as I, I adore the um, Numi Repass ones mm. I would have loved to have seen the Fincher Mara finish yeah okay. I love Fincher that would have been great oh yeah we've got to talk about that because um, Fede Alvarez has been uh, mm. he's going to direct the girl in the spider's web they're going to re- reboot it which we meant to talk about during the news but there's so there much news we forgot <laughs> so there we go uh, at 33 years of Dave asks does Emma regret not watching Die Hard sooner now I thought long and hard about this answer and my answer is no because when I watched it late I appreciated it much more and also I raised a lot of money for charity so thank you to everybody who donated (laughs) and that's the right answer I suppose that's I mean selfless and everything (laughs) have you seen The Princess Bride yet? no Emma we've talked about this like a lot sorry I will soon at Phil Elliott asks if you can only listen to one film soundtrack for the rest of your life which one would you pick? this is a a toss up my favourite score of all time as I've said many times is Clint Mansell's The Fountain but the score to Cloud Atlas I think has everything in it (laughs) so I hate to be disloyal to Clint (gasps) but I think I know that score inside out but I think something that has everything I think I'd go with Tom Tickwa and the gang's Cloud Atlas it's amazing absolutely incredible that theme the sextet kills me at elbows underscore selbo <laughs> every time <laughs> these are great names uh, if Emma could only hang three film posters on her wall teaser one shot and oh variant my <laughs> oh my god <laughs> which would she choose Hanson this one slipped through right um, okay off the top of my head mm-hmm. I saw an amazing poster by Cakes Comics is it Matt Ferguson uh, for Kubo this week which I'm going to call a variant because it wasn't done for theatrical although I think it was released for some IMAX screenings forgive me if I'm wrong teaser again off the top of my head I used to have 
keeping it relevant the Fincher's girl with the dragon tattoo because I used to work in cinema teaser that we weren't allowed to put up because of the um, the bar through the nipple oh yeah <laughs> my manager was like nope who <laughs> was up for a day and he was like nah 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 <laughs> uh, so I love that I'd yeah. have that up it's such a great poster of Craig kind of yeah. choke holding Rooney so you have just filth those two pornography Kubo's not just filth Kubo's not filth and then, girl with a dragon tattoo is just, that's <laughs> pornography what was the other one a normal one a normal yeah a release poster I love the I've got three of them I love the shame poster the one that's half orange half yellowy the main theatrical poster is beautiful that's a quad stunning I apologise Chris it is filth it is filth oh yeah god sorry no I meant the film the film filth by John (laughs) Uh, Katie Trainer asks while working at Empire which film have you loved the most that you probably wouldn't otherwise have seen it's a bit of a cop out answer because I don't think there's anything I wouldn't have seen if that makes sense but the film I've loved the most because I've only been here what 14 months I loved my favourite film this year is <laughs> my favourite film this year is Civil War so, <laughs> you probably would have seen that I maybe. mean but let's go for a festival film let's go for something different my favourite festival films I saw at Edinburgh this year were um, The Childhood of a Leader which I've really waxed lyrical about I think it's incredible mm-hmm. um, and then Hunt for the Wilder People which we've all gone oh, crazy about yeah. so yeah support some smaller films but yeah no I would say uh, Child of a Leader at Wongoli Insane <laughs> These names are brilliant. uh, Would it have helped if Chris Hewitt had recorded the podcast with his trousers on? Yeah. (laughs) It's what we all want. It's Uh, it's what you want, Helen. It's not what I want. And what I want is just to be free during the podcast. (laughs) Just to flap around. (laughs) Flap around free. At Papworth Amy asks, what's been the best moment of your time at Empire? I was really lucky. My first interview was with Aaron Sorkin, which for me was like the best thing ever. Um, just like, you should just quit right then. I, just like- I could have talked to him for about three days straight. He is fascinating. And we broke down his best scenes. So I was right. sitting there like an absolute wow. know, fan. Like, this is very cool. Recently, I was really lucky. I got to go and watch Clint Mansell's most recent score being recorded, which was so dreamy. Um, thank you, Helen. You're welcome. Um, and then actually queuing for The Force Awakens of Nick and James because there are so few films where we have that kind of massive yeah. you yeah. know event films we don't oh really you, were, you were behind us in the queue yeah, we, yeah. We were, we were, yeah, yeah. so that was really cool <laughs> uh, Chris Hemsworth pretending to be a whale at me that was good he does a really terrible sperm whale impression <laughs> but that, that stuck with me yeah I've been super lucky so J.J. Abrams I think was probably my absolute highlight though that was he. his passion is like so infectious that was awesome you got like 45 minutes with him didn't you yeah. for 10 Cloverfield it was Light. nuts and the first thing That's goes is do you cool. want a drink and I was like oh you're totally normal <laughs> so enough but yeah you're totally normal would you totally want a drink normal. oh you drink fluids <laughs> this is amazing would you like a beverage <laughs> just like everybody else um, but yeah uh, finally on a really personal note when I finished interviewing Vigo Mortensen I got tangled up in my wires and he untangled me oh. and that was a very lovely <laughs> chivalrous moment we should mention that Emma is a robot and has wires trailing wherever yeah. she goes it was great okay couple sorry m- that was a lot of answers no it was great couple more couple more at Chopper Style 311 <laughs> <laughs> says everyone's going soundtrack questions so I'll go a different route should I refinance my home mortgage oh man that's a lot of responsibility on one person's shoulders um 
look, I'm going to say no for sure. I I have faith in your decisions, but I think you're going to get through this time. And I think remortgaging is a big decision. <laughs> and I can barely count to the hundred, let alone yeah. advise on that. It's so huge. be strong, man. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, but don't don't do it. This could launch your entire new career at MoneySavingExpert.com. Oh, man, Martin Lewis, when I were him. <laughs> uh, at Monty H. Withnell asks, with your Twitter handle having a Tarantino reference, what's your favourite Tarantino film? Yeah, so my handle is I am not Wayne Gale. Wayne Gale being from Natural Born Killers. I have not seen all of his films, which is a terrible <laughs> admission. I've seen most of them, but I came to him quite late. Again, you know, I guess being younger and stuff. So. <sighs> I really, really, really love Pulp Fiction, but that's an obvious answer. So, just go with your instinct. I, I mean, that instinct's I, always, always I really the best like way to Django. go. Like, I really like Django. I think that's my favourite. No, 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 Django. no. Okay. I think Django. You're, I am not Wayne Girl. Yeah, so everyone. Why are you not Emma Thrower on Twitter? Well, because. That oh no, that handle was taken. It's simple as that. Yeah, by someone who's never tweeted. I'm just I'm looking at it right now. And An I heard egg. that you can take someone's name after they haven't tweeted for X amount of years. Yeah, not but anymore. Yeah, I like my They've pretentious handle. I really like it. They changed the rules. That's why I'm Chris Hewitt because I wasn't Chris Hewitt initially, and then someone who was Chris Hewitt wasn't tweeting for ages, and so I went, "Oi, Twitter, give me that handle," and they went, "Yes, you can have that handle." Uh, now they've stopped that. I feel like. I'm synonymous with Robert Downey Jr. though. <laughs> so, how could I? I, I can't keep, I can't tell you apart. I thought you were great in uh, Civil War. Thank you. Uh, at Hey Quiz asks, I, we always get this question, and I never put it through. But I'm going to put it through just for you. If they made a movie about the Empire podcast, who would you cast to play you? Ben Foster. <laughs> <laughs> No. Um, Is there any role for which you would not consider Ben Foster? <laughs> That's a tough one. I, if someone that maybe I dream looks a bit like me, when you're with your eyes closed, and when I used to have brown hair, uh, Michelle Dockery is probably the only person that. I've ever been remotely compared to. I look nothing like her. So I'm going to go for her because she's cool. But Ben Foster would be my answer. Okay. <laughs> ben uh, Foster in the wig. <laughs> okay. Two last Pink ones. Pink wig. Tariq Ashkanani asks, most tearful goodbye in movies? Most tearful? Oh, my goodness. I think the film that made me cry the most in regards to that was probably The Fountain. I don't think I've recovered. Maybe it was just seeing Rachel Weiss again in The Light Between Oceans that made you so emotional during that movie. Oh, maybe. Oh, my goodness. Maybe it was. Yeah, maybe it was. Maybe I'm just... Cat <laughs> <laughs> Brown, from oh, This Parish, Kat asks, what's the most... Because I've, I've literally, as we're recording this, I put a shout out for more questions. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is interactivity. No, I'm unprepared. Okay. What's the most underrated soundtrack? Oh, um... Non-mainstream movie scores people don't know about. I really like... What should people know? Like Crazy by Dustin Halloran is amazing. Also, oh, I Origins, a film that not enough people have seen either. Will Bates and Phil Mossman, that score is gorgeous. I listen to that nearly every day. Oh, wow. um, okay. There's a recent film which I don't know what the hell is going to happen, but it's released. It's called American Hero with Stephen Dorff and Lorna Balfour's, I don't know how you pronounce his name, sorry. Lorna Balfour. <laughs> um, his score is beautiful. It's all piano. That's really gorgeous. So. Okay. 
Awesome. Two last questions. At jmizzle222 asks, if Emma could have any actor read her a story, which story would she ask Lee Pace to read? <laughs> oh, who just mentioned Lee Pace? Uh, Jordan Milnes. <laughs> wow, I've never seen someone actually faint before. Because <laughs> I nearly mentioned him, is it, at Ben Foster? Um, what story would Lee Pace read me? Mm-hmm. I've actually lost the plot a bit, haven't I? I think a transcript of this podcast. <laughs> oh, That's what God. we need, with him doing all the voices. Yeah. Okay, I'm just answering questions for you now. Uh, and the very last question <laughs> anything, is anything. from Ad See Me Here. What will you miss most about the podcast? Oh, um, about Empire, in fact. I was say editing it. Uh, do you know what? One of the one of the very very best things about this job, uh, editing the podcast, is so good because you guys never hear half of the ridiculous stuff that happens in here there are so many great outtakes and John and I um, John and I were never on the podcast together by the way so really did anyone ever see us in the same room I don't know are we the same person You've never been on the podcast together Not together never did it I know right wow so we were thinking of doing like an outtakes one this year but there's just I so think, much no, stuff well, I, no because I, I would go to prison um, <laughs> it's Dan uh, as, as, it's Dan yes, Jolin as your lawyer it would amazing be, yeah it would be um, very very bad it yeah, would be bad that's a lot of fun I just just, uh, you know, we just laugh. Chris makes me <laughs> makes me cry of laughter at least once a week, let's be honest. I do often have to go and grab a pile of tissues to sort my face out. <laughs> well, on that bombshell, <laughs> how can I possibly recover from that? That is... I have to... I, okay. I think that's a good note in which to end. To be honest, I will say on a personal note, it's you know, we haven't known you long enough. It's been just over a year. You've brought incredible bubbly fun to the office. You've reminded us every day of what aching dinosaurs we are. We, just, we really <laughs> oh, are. So, we're just, yeah, it's we're just, so old. It's so, not, we're so this, ready look for at this young, yeah. you know, driven, like capable old. person. Yeah. We're sort of creaking in a corner. <laughs> yeah, oh. I had to clear cobwebs off myself just the other day. Really sad. You didn't get them all. No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, it's been it's been wonderful having you. Uh, it's fair to say it sucks to be losing you, Helen. It, it 100% does. Yeah. Uh, it's been good to have another Hamilton appreciator around the office. <laughs> it's been good to have another girl around the office. And, you know... I could be a girl. You're not a girl. I could be. I love All right, Beyonce. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's you're going to be missed very much for yourself. Thank so. you. Absolutely. And, yes, thank you for laughing at all my jokes. You're That's, very welcome. That will be missed. Because that doesn't <laughs> No one happen. else is going to do it anymore. No one else does that. <laughs> it's really sad. Uh, anything to say? Any last any last words? Oh, good Lord. That's. I know. <laughs> do, do, we, do we have to call them last words? We might as well. Words. We might as well. Yeah, just, just teach us how to say goodbye. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I get so many people asking about the scores these last two days. So if anyone mm. wants to follow me on Spotify, it's a great shout. So it's very embarrassing. This is my email from when I was 12. I'm sorry. But it's Eminem, as in Eminem, and Emma, because yes, I like to rap to Eminem. Eminem 12 on Spotify. Super easy. And there are so many lists. <laughs> Super easy. She so says, saying a, a, a word that I have no idea how to spell. It's Eminem. It's Eminem with an M-A on the end. Eminem. It makes Or tweet sense. me. And I'll yeah, reply. my brain hurts. <laughs> But yes, M- Eminem. We can enjoy the scores together forever. It's Eminem with an M A. Yeah, one two. 
<laughs> now it's just a vision of Eminem going to university. As a <laughs> <laughs> like, what would that be? What would he be doing? Uh, but there you go. Awesome. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed your time on the podcast. And listen, you know, the door is open because there are two doors. Two. As Helen has established, we cannot stop people coming into you the pod. You can't kick me out. <laughs> yeah, just, just daintly skip around Mick downstairs. Hey, he'll say. And then run up the stairs. self-hating racist. Self-hating racism. How is that self Join us next week for more formulated fun. We'll be joined by... Adam Driver. Is that next week? It's next week. Yay. <laughs> We're nothing if not prepared for this podcast. Helen's about to interview Adam Driver yeah. this afternoon. So yes, don't fuck it up because it's meant to be our podcast interview next oh, week. I'll so. do my best. There you go. Uh, all right. It's uh, goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. It's goodbye from me. And for the final time, at least for now, it's goodbye from Emma Thrower. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.